Hi, welcome to the Curvy Culture Podcast. I'm Andrea Westbrook and my mission is to create a world where everyone feels that they can thrive, regardless of their body size. I acknowledge the Yuggera and Turbal nations as the traditional custodians of the land on which I live, work and learn, and their continuing connection to the land, water and community. I pay respect to them and their elders, past, present and emerging. All content related to this program is for general informational purposes only and may contain stories and discussions about diet culture, weight loss, disordered eating, weight stigma, fat phobia and anti-fat bias that may be disturbing to some listeners. If you are concerned about yourself or someone you know, please seek professional and individual help and support. Today I'm speaking with Serena Nungia. Serena is a body activist, long-time advocate for eating disorder recovery and marketing and communications manager for an eating disorder non-profit called Project Heal. Serena has spent close to a decade building expertise on the way body image, media and eating disorders affect people's daily lives, as well as how fat phobia and weight stigma create issues of access and discrimination systemically and interpersonally. Serena also actively works to elevate diverse voices of people of colour and fat people. Her inspiration comes from her sister, Ellen, who struggled with an eating disorder for over a decade and is now in long-term recovery. Serena and I, in our conversation today, we get really deep into the effects of fat phobia and weight stigma. And Serena will also share her best tips for how you can be an ally to fat people. Hello, Serena, and welcome to the Curvy Culture Podcast. Hi, Andrea. So glad to be here. Thank you. I'm loving having you here and reconnecting with you again. So listeners, uh, Serena has been an absolute inspiration to me since I've started this journey that I've been on around size inclusion. And I first discovered Serena, which I thought is a little bit coming full circle because I was listening to a podcast and Serena was being interviewed there. And I thought, oh, who is this amazing person? I'm going to go and find her on social media, as we all do. And I saw that Serena was hosting an online class called How to Be an Ally to Fat People. So, of course, I thought that class was absolutely up my alley and I jumped on. I loved the class and the topics that she shared and our friendship has just developed from there. So, Serena, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your journey to body activism and, you know, your journey to how to be an ally to fat people, why you created that class and and what what. What's what took you there? Yeah, thank you so much for asking and so much for sharing um, how you found me. I didn't even think about the fact that, yeah, you just came to one of my courses and one of my first courses, yeah. the How to Be an Ally to Fat People. So that's beautiful. Um, I have a winding story, even though I'm only 24 years old. Um, I've been through many ups and downs and uh, so I'll I'll give uh, as detailed and abridged version okay. <laughs> as I can. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think 
My origins as what I call now a body activist started probably from a young age. Um, my parents are both healthcare practitioners mm-hmm. and my mom's a nurse and my dad's a doctor. Um, and my dad is specifically a urologist. So we kind of had always talked about bodies in this, you know, the range of how to protect yourself, how to check yourself, especially as we were growing older and into puberty, like doing breast exams and, and just generally like taking care of ourselves and our bodies specifically. But we little did we know that all of us were really struggling with mental health issues. And with the focus on physical health, as well Mm -hmm. as just surviving, because a lot of life can be really hard. And we were going through a lot as a family, we, you know, I developed pretty severe depression, and experienced a lot of mental health issues starting from probably like fifth grade. So like 10 years old at the, the early, my earliest memory of like mm-hmm. an anxiety or panic attack type situation. Yeah. Um, and then as I got older, I started wanting to learn more about body image. I identify, well, I forgot to say, like, I like to say my identities at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So I identify as a fat person, as a biracial woman. I identify as an activist, then an advocate, an older sister, a daughter. And I, even though I'm biracial, I'm white presenting. So that's mm-hmm. really important. Also important is to know that I'm a fat person, but I am a smaller or mid-sized fat person, yeah. which means I have more access to things than yeah. much larger people. Yeah. Um, and that's really important for my story. Yeah. But, but yeah, so I, you know, I, I grew up in a larger body than my peers and didn't necessarily feel uncomfortable with it for a long time until I started getting messages from media and peers and just in general starting to feel insecure about myself, especially because I uh, whether it's based on body or personality or all of the above, I just wasn't um, dating in middle school and high school and mm-hmm. started feeling really insecure about that. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up finding a club on campus uh, called Rebel or on campus in my high school mm-hmm. that was focused on peer education on eating disorders, media awareness, body image, just general literacy and research around what bodies are, how we show up in them, Mm -hmm. what messages we're given and what value they have. And I was in that for the last two years of high school, 17 and 18. And in my senior year of high school, I found out that my younger sister had developed an eating disorder and had been struggling with disordered eating for at least 10 years from very, very early ages. And so that has been my driving force behind everything that I do. At the time, I didn't really know my place in the eating disorder field yet. Uh, I didn't really know where I stood because I wasn't a survivor of an eating disorder, mm-hmm. but I was a sibling mm-hmm. and I didn't know about fat phobia then yet. I, mm-hmm. I didn't, I hadn't quite like gotten to that part of my journey yet. And so, mm-hmm. but I still kept learning and reading and attending conferences and all these things. And then I found out about fat phobia and (laughs) it's really been an uphill journey since being able to verbally identify an issue that I've been going through that Mm -hmm. my parents have 
my parents and my grandmother had experienced for most of their lives. And I'll pause there in case you have any yeah, questions. I do have a question. <laughs> so when you, let's say, discovered, for lack of a better term, fat phobia, what was that like for you? What was that experience like for you? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll clarify um, that I found I found the term fat phobia, yeah, which yeah. I know you get, but yeah, yeah. I had been experiencing fat phobia my entire life as yeah. someone in a larger body. And, and it was normal. Like, I was going to say it felt normal because it was normal. Like mm-hmm. fat people experience oppression interpersonally every day of our lives. Mm-hmm. But what I realized by learning about fat phobia as a system and a systemic issue is that it doesn't just affect me and how I feel about my body and how my family feels about Mm -hmm. me and my body. It affects the whole world. It Mm -hmm. affects how much I and other fat peers are paid, Mm -hmm. how much access we have to healthcare, and generally just well-being and like being able to survive in the world is harder mm-hmm. for fat people. And yeah. I had ki- kind of felt that in my body. I was like, it feels like some days things are harder than they need to be. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking about things differently. But when I was I able to identify that this not only is just a word, but it is a there's a whole field around fat studies. And there are some incredible theorists or also researchers. And everybody is doing their part. And also to like I always like to remind myself and others that like the fat liberation movement, which I later found out was in response to fat phobia yeah. as a system, has was you know led and has been highly influenced by fat people of color. Mm-hmm. And as I explore my identity as a biracial person, it's been really fascinating to figure out like does my white side have more fat phobia or less fat phobia or like where are the mm. different where are the influences of what has led me to experience fat phobia in my life and how can i notice those things that have caused harm to me and mm. try to find ways through them so mm. it's it's helped with my personal confidence it helped me to understand where that there's a reason why things exist and mm-hmm. and now I can educate others in the fact that mm. I didn't even know about fat phobia and I felt like I had been studying eating disorders for so long. Yeah. And there's such a huge connection between eating disorders and fat phobias. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. It's pretty surprising to me. Yeah. yeah. I might just go back a step and ask you, because there might be a person out there who hasn't heard the term fat phobia before. So how would you describe it to someone who hasn't heard of the term fat phobia? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I have to do every time I'm doing a presentation on fat phobia, so I I change up the wording of mm-hmm. the definition that I use because I feel like my understanding develops well, yeah. you know, more every time. But yeah, I get that. As a base, fat phobia is a systemic, interpersonal and institutional and internal issue that is created out of the fear of becoming fat, of experiencing like harm as a person in a larger body, and generally the fear of losing some of the privileges that you someone might have as someone who is thin. So it can show up in a lot of different ways, but 
when I say fear of becoming fat or fear of fatness being like taking over someone's life um Mm -hmm. I think about that in terms of systems as well so like there's fat phobia in healthcare and and the ways that that shows up there's just the only people that are right are the people who or who are in the right um are people who aren't fat and who are doing things quote unquote correctly Mm -hmm. um and in the correct body and so fear in some ways and you know phobia means fear Fear doesn't have to be like scared necessarily. Mm-hmm. It can for a lot of people are very yeah. scared to become fat. But also just as a system like disgust and anguish and distress around the feeling of fatness and fat people. Even if you accept things in your body or in a friend's body, maybe you don't accept it in others. And you just might see it as wrong or morally wrong. Um, and there are a lot of other ways that it can show up but that's I think that's a pretty good definition yeah that's a great definition and I think it's really important to to call out there are so many different layers to it like you said there's the institutional the systemic the interpersonal and the the internal the intrapersonal Mm -hmm. and it can show up in so many different ways just then when you were speaking about healthcare, I had a flashback I haven't had this memory in ages, but it would have been about 20 years. I went to the doctor because I had tonsillitis and he got, he started on about me losing weight. And I looked at him and he saw the look on my face because he was in a fat body too. And then he started trying to justify it. And we ended up, luckily he had a good sense of humor. He ended up having a bit of a laugh about it. And he, he gave me the penicillin that I needed. And that, that was the end of that transaction. But needless to say, I didn't go back to him. Mm-hmm. Mm. But I thought, yeah, the irony. So I guess the biggest learning for me when I first introduced the term fat phobia was understanding how internalized it is. And that I can also, so not only do I have that fear for myself and that I act differently and potentially don't have access to some of the same privileges that thin people do. And this was really hard to admit, but I also project my internalized fat phobia onto other fat people. And that was a big, a big wake up call. But it was so empowering because now I know what it is. And I can acknowledge that this is a thing not just something that's going on in my head that I've made up. There's actually yeah. research and science around around fat phobia and weight stigma. And for me, it was yeah. so empowering that it was like someone shot an arrow in my heart. Finally, I could put my experiences into words and that, and it was valid. Absolutely. Mm. I agree. I, I found that in the past probably five years since I've left my hometown, I've mm-hmm. and with my own journey with fat phobia and with the Black Lives Matter movement in the US mm-hmm. specifically, I've done a lot of deconstructing and understanding of how I have been socialized mm-hmm. as a person who was raised in the US. Um, yeah. And that includes fat phobia and racism yeah. and you know accepting my own fat phobia has been easier than accepting my own racism and mm-hmm. acknowledge that even if we're not actively doing something to hurt others 
we have been socialized and have unconscious biases that mm-hmm. uh, that make us accidentally hurt others yeah. Uh, yeah. and yeah just the just the knowledge of the word you know having the word to identify okay this is what I'm experiencing I'm looking yeah. at this fat person and I feel this way I feel bad about feeling that way and I'm you know internally rewiring my mm-hmm. uh, neuroreceptors to try yeah. to make sure in the long time that yeah. I don't feel in the long term I don't I don't feel that way and yeah it works and I will say like the more that I do it the the easier it becomes yeah. and the less the less I feel certain things about certain people just based on what they look like but yeah. I will say at, at the same time as all of us activists and people who are doing our own deconstruction of our socialization, we are also simultaneously being socialized. So yeah, yeah. it's kind yeah. of like we can never catch up fully. We're never going to be fully deconstructed. Yeah. We are socialized, even in the ways that we are deconstructing, yeah. our socialization is socialized. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, we do our best. And yeah focus on the human yeah. aspect I think yeah yeah absolutely I think that is uh, a beautiful thing to shine a light on that this work doesn't end because we are continually being socialized and the messages that we're receiving are receiving for the most part aren't changing I mean we can control to a certain extent but we can't control continuously what's in the media and that sort of thing but we can control what we observe but some of it, when it's big, you, you can't control what you're absorbing. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that kind of duality. You can feel bad about one thing, but also, you know, it's being, you're being conditioned on the other end as well. So it is really um, important to call that out. And you're right, it is just, we are humans. Let's be kind to ourselves and compassionate to ourselves and 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 work on what we can. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say, like, as a transition, but if you have other questions, let me know. But I mm-hmm. think, you know, we, as soon as I found out about fat phobia, mm-hmm. and I was like, how can I help with this? How can I, yeah. you know, and I think a lot of what, you know, how how to become an ally to fat people came out of really yeah. a lot of my thin friends, like, I, te- I teach them or tell them just in conversation about fat phobia and yeah. like little things that are showing up and they're like, oh, like there's so much. How can I even start to like learn about all of this and yeah, like be an ally or just at- be a support at that yeah. point? We didn't even use the word ally to people who are experiencing this because, you know, we we're very conscious of our pri- privileges um, mm-hmm. going to a liberal arts college. So, and just like the, the environment that we were in. So mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to do a, a workshop through a nonprofit based in Philadelphia called Yes to Consent. And they do a lot of education around just bodies in general. And I submitted the application and they accepted it. And that was the first time that I'd done, I was paid to speak because they paid all their speakers. And I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that. I was 21. So yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. But did you have any other questions? Well, yeah. So that's how, thank you for bringing us to how you got to develop how to be an ally for for fat fat people. Why do you think it is important to address 
fat phobia and for people to understand how they can be a support or an ally? I think being a human and an empathetic and aware human means knowing what systems are in place that are harming others. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think with the first step of how to be an ally to fat people is being aware of your own biases um, mm-hmm. because you can't do any more learning or mm helping if you haven't identified your own biases. And so I think the importance of knowing your biases and then doing things to support people who are in marginalized bodies is that it's kind of, first of all, just being a a kind human, I think is, is my first thing. Like, but the other thing is that it's just inequitable. Mm. You know, if you don't care about equity, I can't really convince you that you should care about fat people and fat phobia. But if you do, understanding that it's not just the personal issue that like like I mentioned fat people are paid less like the statistics I have in my head is a dollar 25 but fat people are paid a dollar 25 per hour less than their than counterparts mm-hmm. per hour and the salary reflects that um mm-hmm and do you know that do you know that yeah statistic? yeah yeah i've i've seen it so i've seen it as an annual amount it's in the u in us dollars it's about around uh, $19,000 less than their straight size counterparts so that for people in australia that's around $30,000 so it's a pretty considerable drop from what their the, their peers are doing or earning so yeah yeah it's it's significant And that, so that financial impact will impact people's ability to access certain services, Mm -hmm. but also, you know, it's discriminatory and unfortunately it's not illegal in most states. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that, you know, my friends felt like it's unjust to have these laws but if you think about it in relation to even like if your partner is fat or you are fat or or your sibling is fat or your parent is fat like how all of those things can impact you not only emotionally but Mm -hmm. systemically mental health wise and generally having access to certain supports and even just clothing as a basis yeah as a basic yeah absolutely (laughs) yeah yeah, and I think the the clothing is a is a topic for, for a whole other episode, but a, absolutely that is a, a a big barrier for for fat and plus size people people to feel part of of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think something that I was just thinking about that's really important to know is right. I can't convince you to care about fat people, or whatever. But mm-hmm. if if you even care about yourself. Even if you're a thin person, you are impacted by fat phobia and bias. Um, You know, and I think a lot of thin people have experienced weight stigma and weight bias on the other end. And it's a lot Mm -hmm. less severe um, in a systemic way. Mm -hmm. But if you have children or you want to have children, raising them is a whole process of like, how do I deconstruct how I feel about my body, not place it on others? Um, If you have friends, like, not you know, I try not to talk about bodies specifically or yep. like eating disorder habits or that sort of yep. thing that like talking negatively about my body. So generally, like fat phobia is not just about fat people. It's about 
how bodies people show up in the world in their bodies yeah and if people don't feel safe not comfortable of course like is really where you know if we're thinking about equity comfort is important but even just safe in your body Mm -hmm. safe to exist safe because you have the financial stability or you Mm -hmm. have access to clothing that you can travel you Mm -hmm. can get on a plane and jump out of the country or like or to another state like the ability to just do what you need to do as a human Mm -hmm. is that equity doesn't exist right now and when you think about it that way it's really like we're all working towards this equity but let's build some safeties and some bases basis for like fat black men or big black men who are being killed right now just Mm. by being on the streets like those yep. you know who are the people who are experiencing the most yeah stigma and the most fat phobia and yep. are actively unsafe yep. and let's start there and let's build up towards like comfort um mm-hmm. and yep. being able to buy clothing in stores yeah i think a lot of people are working, activists are working from a perspective of like, we need to get clothing in stores right yeah. now. Like, and, and we need to obviously like make sure people can fly on planes and mm-hmm. be comfortable or at least fit and like be able to be on a plane. And I absolutely think of those things, but I think of them on a mm. higher level. I think there's, mm. So many, mm. and it's, e- I think those things are a little bit easier while still difficult mm. to deconstruct yep. because there are some corporations that are trying and the corporations, while not listening to a lot of activists mm. are more accessible and t- yep. tangible than, for example, like how do we in the U.S. like recognize how the police system may impact fat people of color more than thin yeah you know thin white people yeah. and I'm, yeah. I'm I just want to note like uh, these all of these ideas about living you know anti-fatness as anti-blackness um yeah is from Deshaun Harrison's book Valley of the Beast and they are a phenomenal author and and so I think as an activist right now mm-hmm. I'm really trying to find my place and how to elevate the people who are experiencing the most unsafety mm-hmm. and inequality and not yeah. just what I'm experiencing on, on a daily basis yeah. which is like I can't can't find clothes in stores yeah and yeah feel really uncomfortable yeah. on planes yeah so yeah those things are so important but yeah. people are dying and yeah absolutely I'm so glad you raised that because as you were talking about safety I actually recalled a stat that I had um read that that fat people are 10 times more likely to be a victim of physical or sexual violence than Mm. non-fat people so that for me when I read that 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 floored me and I'm I'm actually still processing that and I actually am really glad you raised it because you're so right Though the people experiencing that, they're our, I'm getting quite emotional, they're the most marginalised where probably for, for my, I know for myself, look, I have experienced uh, verbal abuse from strangers in the street. Mm-hmm. But for me, yeah, sometimes I get caught up in the biggest issues being the availability of clothing, the aeroplane seats. But for that to be my big issue, 
I have to acknowledge I've already got a certain level of privilege. If I can fly on planes and I have that financial privilege to be able to do that and to buy clothes, there's a certain amount of privilege that comes with that. And I love that you've really shone a light that there are there is a big group of really marginalised people that are experiencing far, far worse in terms of anti-fatness and anti-blackness than, than people like myself are. Yeah. Yeah, so it's really a multi-layered, multi-pronged approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the, for example, some of the solutions or things that can try to make things safer for the most marginalized are like implementing those legislative things where that legislation that protects people from not being fired based on their yeah. body size, like you were mentioning we could even do a whole episode on this, I'm sure. But we had a chat on LinkedIn over figuring out how many states in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, have protections, one or two. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, we figured, yeah. we figured yeah. out it was one. one the fact yeah. that, um, yeah, there's only one state in the U.S. that has protection. What is it in Australia? Two. And I actually found it quite hard to research and, and find out. Yeah. 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 And if people don't know what this legislation looks like, it basically means like in the U.S. you can't be fired based on race, sexual identity or orientation, gender, ability, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But size, body size is not on that list. And there is, there are no, there are only, there's only one state out of all 50 mm-hmm. states plus D.C. that even have that legislation. So when we think about safety, we don't know. We don't only think about like people getting killed, which is a huge part of it, but mm. like physical safety also includes having a place to live and yeah. Um, yeah. and have and having a job to support your life. So yes. the fact that fat people can just get fired yeah. based on their size and it's not illegal, it's unethical, yeah. absolutely, but it's yeah. not illegal is in, mo- in me- most states is quite concerning. So mm. Mm. implementing that sort of legislation could help towards a more safe world for people. I agree. And I think too, and this is a a large focus of my work, is I'm finding as I look at society as a whole, organisations and businesses seem to be leading the way on social change more than our governments are these days. When we look at climate change and that mm-hmm. sort of thing it, and diversity and inclusion, it's organisations and business, big businesses that are leading the way and then the legislation's catching up. And so that's why I've decided to focus on working with employers to help break down some of that those systemic barriers that they might be accidentally presenting or putting up for fat people so that we can start to overcome that at that level because we know legislation is going to take a while to catch up. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, you know, I work, my company is called The Body Activists. And mm. while I'm not, I'm not doing it, um, working a lot, I, I work full-time at a nonprofit that helps people with eating disorders called Project Heal. But my company was built on the idea to, that to also be doing work internally with corporations and organizations on how to create size inclusive, a size inclusive environment and just mm. whether that's virtual yep. or physical and also like 
with protections in place through HR and that sort of thing. And yeah. so I love this work and it's a, it's a pretty unexplored part mm. of DEI, diversity, yeah. equity, and, and inclusion, but it's a huge part. And, and I'm also was thinking about how if, if a fat person can't be fired based on their size, then a tall person can't be fired, yeah. you know, yeah. the, you know, yeah. other a, a redheaded person couldn't be fired. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, so these things are important and, but I agree with you, like mm. with what, with government and legislation taking so long to even, I mean, the U S just approved, just signed the bill on finally actually um, protecting gay marriage and uh, interracial marriage, which feels like oh. it shouldn't even have to be yeah, uh, in wow. legislation. Oh my but God. it has to be. Um, wow. But they just, yeah. it. it's, you know, it was, there's a whole thing. But, you know, yeah. even when there is legislation that is protective, the corporations have the power. You know, we live in a very capitalistic mm. society where the people with billions of dollars are in charge, really. And so mm-hmm. if, yeah. if those people, you know, it to some degree, um, the government has some pull, but also if, the, if the import, you know, if the 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 companies that run the world don't, yeah, you know, listen to yeah. even yeah. if we don't think about the world, the companies that run our communities, um, mm. they they play an important role. So I think yeah. people like Andrea and people like Shavis Turner yes. and Kara Richardson Whiteley yes. and myself, like we're yes, and I will acknowledge that all four of us are white presenting people, yes. and so I'm sure that there are a lot of. Uh, BIPOC, you know, people who are doing that, but mm-hmm. um, it is a new, it's, it feels mm-hmm. like a new field that at least, you know, fat phobia and deconstructing that has been something that people have been doing anti a lot of anti-racism yeah. work has, has included anti-fat phobia work yeah. in it, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of work to be done yeah. with anti-fat phobia. Yeah, there is. And I do want to acknowledge, really acknowledge and honor the, the BIPOC people that did start this conversation and this activism. And I've spoken about this on my Instagram around body positivity because I I am trying to disassociate myself with that term because it has been co-opted by straight-size white people. So I really want to acknowledge that the the roots of anti-fatness do come out of the BIPOC communities. Mm-hmm. Mm, so thank you for, yeah. for raising that. So oh, Serena, absolutely. what without sharing, well, what are your what would be the three top tips you would give an individual or an organization who was looking to become a better ally or support to fat people? I am just going to go to my own website so I can uh, <laughs> reference it. Uh, I love it. You know, I think, like I s- said, the first the first step of, you know, being an ally to fat people, in my opinion, is recognizing your own biases and your place in the, the oppressed to oppressor mm-hmm. spectrum. Um, yeah. You can be, as a thin person in the fat phobia, you know, in the body size, landscape as a thin person you may not be personally perpetrating fat phobia against your friend or a person you know or and you might like be really kind on social media and not be commenting terrible things Mm -hmm. that a lot of others are Uh, but just as a thin person there is you know you hold 
privilege and there's mm-hmm. superb power in that it's not a yeah. bad thing to be thin it's not a bad no. thing to hold power it's what you do with that power yeah. and um, how you acknowledge that it exists um, yeah and so I would say as a as an individual, like when I do my workshops, we just write out like what your privileges are. Like I did at the mm. beginning, I try to generally mm. keep in mind my own privileges and list them out yeah. and add to them as you discover new things yeah. and new privileges. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then as an organization, acknowledging what privileges you as an organization have and also mm. what privileges or disadvantages or marginalization are the people that you're you're supporting have so if mm. you're a company like or you know any organization what what range of marginalization does your do your employees experience and how can you mm. support them and the next step will be like how you can support them based on like different types of marginalizations mm. but also the organization i work for we specifically are very aware of what are beneficiaries of our care. Some people, for some people, it's patients or clients. Yep. What are they experiencing in their day-to-day life? Yep. yep. And it's basically just building empathy. Yeah. And it will also, fun fact, make you more money because you are <laughs> caring about people and you yep. might understand them in a more in a better, you know, a more yep deep way than others um yeah your competitors might so yeah absolutely yeah anything you would add to that the only thing I would add just for our corporate listeners or organizational listeners is patients would probably transfer to into clients if you were thinking or customers if you were thinking of it from that that point of view and I think yeah absolutely customers patients clients want to see themselves reflected in your business so that they can feel a part of it too and I think consumers are becoming more discerning about that and they're looking to see themselves and to see how their concerns and worries and are going to be cared for and addressed so absolutely I'm a big believer that this is going to help organizations and this is not what it's about it's about doing the right thing but I'm a big believer in doing the right thing has a positive impact to bottom line. I agree as yeah. well. And, and you know, the fat population, if we're just using the statistic of plus size women in the US mm-hmm. as related to clothing, at least 67% of all yeah. women in the US are plus size. Yeah. So that's it's, just a just a starting line. It's an FYI. Want, <laughs> yeah, it's similar, similar in Australia. I think it's something yeah. like um, 57% of all of Women yeah. in Australia are considered overweight or obese. I do those yeah. in, ter- in medical terms. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So there's a, um, a big percentage of the population that you might not be addressing fully or welcoming fully. Yeah. Yeah. And that, address- that affects the bottom line for sure. Yeah. Mm. The other two, you know. Yeah. The other two. Mm-hmm. Are the um, So it's, first of all, recognize your own biases yeah. and privileges. Yeah. Second would be to educate yourself. So do your own research, listen to people who've spoken on this, who are on podcasts and videos and have written stuff. Don't go trying to DM influencers or activists. No, yeah. Do your own work. Right. Do your own work. And we all know how to do that these days. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, just go watch something about something. Mm -hmm. But then... I'd say my final my final step towards being an ally. I mean, obviously there are so many 
steps that can be taken but can I, I can probably... I t- can I share one that I really remember Please. from the training is ask fat people what they need if you see someone being body shamed or uh, being discriminated against or being abused just stop and ask them what, what support do they need I, I think sometimes we can overcomplicate it, but it's as simple as that. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that, that was the one that really stood out for me from the trainings, and that was been about two years ago. Wow, thank yeah. you for remembering yeah. that. Oh. Yeah, I, I think along with those, it, it with, with that, it's just if you're a fat person trying to tune into your needs, if you're a thin person tuning in and researching or you know, asking directly what their what needs are, but mm-hmm. also just the basic needs that are obvious to me, but maybe in your research you might find is like have seating that is large enough yeah. for all types of people and hire consultants, hire fat consultants, yeah. hire consultants who are specialists in marketing, yes. but who happen to be fat and might yeah. have extra perspective. Like you don't yeah. have to hire just fat people, but yeah, fat people have a lot of other skills as yeah, well. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I do. Yeah. I remember the. I remember that conversation, Andrea, the mm. one that you're that you're mentioning, because we had a long conversation with someone who was asking, like, what should I do? And I was like, hire hire someone. Like, yeah. Ask. yeah, yeah. Ask, and you're right. Hire the people with the lived experience, because not only will they bring their their professional qualifications and professional experience, they'll bring the the honest, true lived experience, which you can't get unless unless you've lived it. That that that's the term, and they can really help you to understand the experience of, of people in fat bodies. Mm-hmm. Mm. And the educators and the consultants who are good will also be able to acknowledge where they don't have expertise yes. and who to send you to. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. And just back to Serena's point about doing some doing your education, I'm going to give a shameless plug because you've got two uh, podcasters here in your ears that are working in this space. So of course, I'm going to tell you to or suggest you keep listening to the Curvy Culture podcast, but also Serena has a podcast as well. Body Activism Podcast. Body Activism Podcast. So yes, that is a great place to start as well. Thank you. I, I'm yeah. actually going to be releasing the second season, hopefully in the next couple months, which Andrea is on. So if Yay! you like Andrea and yeah. her perspectives, come yeah. listen to the Body Activism Podcast. Yeah, and I highly recommend it. It's very powerful, especially if you're going on a long drive. Uh, it's, yeah, great, great listening. Awesome. I can't wait to listen to more of your podcast, Andrea. Thank you. I can't wait to get it out there. <laughs> I know. I was like, yeah. I know I haven't listened to it yet, but by the time <laughs> yeah. this comes out, I will have listened. Yeah. To it. <laughs> okay. Great. Great. So, Serena, I'm going to wrap up here and um, say thank you so much for this beautiful, powerful conversation. I personally have learned even more from you than I already have. So, I want to say a big thank you and acknowledge you for sharing your expertise and your wisdom in this space. And I really can't wait to, to, to read, listen, hear more from you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this interview with the incredible Serena Nungia. I hope this episode has given you some tips on how you can start 
unpacking your bias towards fat people and also some easy steps that you can start to implement in being an ally and support to the fat people in your life. Now before I go I want to remind you to make sure you tune in to the next episode where I am interviewing the brilliant Sally McWilliam of Fit with Sally. Sally shares how she has bucked the status quo to create a size inclusive fitness business. Thank you for listening to the Curvy Culture Podcast. I love having you here. If you have enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe at your favorite podcast platform so that you don't miss an episode. And while you're there, I would love it if you could leave a rating and review. And don't forget to share it with a friend so that they can come and hang out with us too.